Welcome, everyone. You are listening to Truth in Christ Radio, the Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned. Again, this is after their defeat at Ai. And they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. I told them something very simple. And God says, I told you what to do, and this is what happened. For they have taken some of the accursed things and have, been st- and have stolen and deceived, and they have put it also among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed from among you. Notice that. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us today on Truth in Christ. Pastor Rob finalizes chapter 17 today in the book of Deuteronomy and continues analyzing God's instruction to the nation of Israel on obeying his commands. In Joshua 7, Pastor Rob uses the example of the sin of Achan after the battle of Ai to convey the seriousness of sin to God. Today, we are so thankful for God's grace in our lives, God's redemption at Christ's expense. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are covered by the blood of his sacrifice, and grace is bestowed to us. Here's Pastor Rob with today's message. The, the ante gets, gets turned up a little bit, and now they've got a, a whole bench of 15, 20 people in the room, and they have to come to a unanimous decision about the death penalty if your state uh, is a proponent of the death penalty. In fact, of our 50 states, 30 of the U.S. states have the death penalty, and, and 28 of those provide the sentence to be decided by a jury and 27 of them require a unanimous sentence. That means if you're in a jury of 15 people, all 15 people have to agree as they adjure and as they look, listen to the facts, as they go into, as they sequester, and they, they go and talk about these things, everyone has to agree on it. Otherwise, it's a mistrial. Isn't that wonderful? Hmm. Every one of them. In other words, the, the evidence should be so overwhelmingly obvious, and God makes sure And it all starts right back here in Deuteronomy. Make sure. He makes sure and he puts in those safeguards. But there is a difference between murder and capital punishment or those who fight in combat or war. You remember in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, the Ten Commandments. What does the Ten Commandments say? What is one of them? You shall not murder. You shall not murder. This word literally means in the Hebrew to slay. It's a premeditative act. You did this to me. When I find you, next time I find you, I'm going to take you out, right? That's what we, that's what, usually what murder is, is, is a, a crime of passion. It's either anger or hatred. It's premeditated. It can be accidental. 
and, but it's to assassinate somebody. And to murder is to premeditate out of anger or hatred. And capital punishment, on the other hand, when they're put to death, that is a punitive measure to slow down the spread of sin. Does it make sense? One is an act of hatred, a premeditative act, and then what God has instituted here, at least for the children of Israel, he doesn't cause us to do this today necessarily, unless it's through a jury trial, a, a fair trial. But there's the sin, and then there's the result, the consequence of sin. And I don't know about you, but as I look around, my, my whole family is in law enforcement. And I grew up in this household. And I, I don't know about you, but I look around, and when, whenever there isn't a deterrent for sin... Sin is going to run amok, and it's going to never cease. It only if, if you know that you live in a state that doesn't have the death penalty, there's really nothing that you have to fear. You can almost get away with anything, as long as you don't get caught by the person who you, you know, the, the, person, the family member or something like that. But if you can escape and you can commit your murder, you, can, you might get 20 years in prison. And if you're really good behavior, you might only do 10 of that or 15 of it, and then you're out again. But God says, if you kill somebody, they will be killed as a punitive measure. Why? To put away the sin. And don't you think that if we, again, I'm not going to make a platform here, but I will say this. Just when you look at our, our culture and our society, there's very little deterrent anymore. Very little deterrent. Are we surprised with the results? I'm not promoting that we go out and, and, and do these things because God doesn't call us as Christians to do that. Because even somebody on death row has the ability to receive Christ. Did you know that? They actually have the right to have somebody come in and talk to them before they execute them. What a mercy. The person who they killed didn't get that opportunity. The person they killed could probably be in hell, but now you have the opportunity before you die, as a punitive measure, you have the opportunity to come to Christ and go to heaven. It's kind of hard, isn't it? Or those who are in war or combat. You know, my, uh, I know people who have been in wars and they have killed people because they were commanded to. They were uh, commanded to go into certain villages at certain times and different uh, events and, and kill those who were there occupying. And, you know, in Romans 13, you can read it, but, you know, I think that those people... You know, obviously, if you have a, you can ask God to forgive you, and I know He'll forgive you. You know, but there's a difference between killing out of cold blood, premeditated, and the result of that, the the punitive measure. And I look around, and I don't see a whole lot of justice in the world. I'm not saying again. Please don't misunderstand me, but I just think our our country is. We're not giving very much incentive to do the right thing anymore. Verse 7 says, The hands of the witnesses shall be the first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hands of all the people. So you shall put away evil from among you. You know, if you remember, there was when the children of Israel uh, were in Deuteronomy right now, it won't be long after this that they're going to go into the promised land. They're going to cross over the Jordan River. And what's the first? You know, here is, here's the Jordan River, and here are the children of Israel standing on the side of it. And they're standing on the, in the rivers before them. And we know that they're going to cross that river. And the city right to their right opposite them is Jericho, the high-walled city. And so 
God tells him to go in, and these people have been committing sins for hundreds of years. And finally, God says, enough is enough. He gave them plenty of opportunity to repent. They did not. Now it's time to go in, and he says, kill everything. Don't even take anything. The spoil, it's, it all belongs to me, the Lord says. But you kill every single, and, and that's really hard for us to uh, understand. Again, I believe that children, when they, when they die, they're real young, they, they go straight to the, to the Lord. But anyone who is an adult, who has a knowledge of God and has a knowledge of good and evil, they will not. And only God knows, knows that. He knows. But go in and do this. And so they go in there. And you remember what happened during that raid that they did on Jericho. Remember, they marched around it once, every, once, once a day for six days. And then on the seventh day, they were to go around it seven times on the seventh day. And they shouted, and the walls fell, and they went in, and they took care of business. This pagan people... But notice what God says to Joshua. It's recorded for us in Joshua 6, beginning in verse 17. He says, Now the city shall be doomed. Speaking of, um, speaking of uh, Jericho, the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction and all who are in it. Notice, only Rahab the harlot shall live. Because remember, she hid the two spies that came from the Hebrews, from the Jews. And she and all who are in her house, because she hid the messengers that we sent, they are going to be saved. But verse 18, And you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things, and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver, notice this, all the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They're set apart for him for the purposes of the tabernacle, for the purposes of their worship, are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. And notice what happens in, in, uh, right after this event happened. They had this great victory in Jericho, and they were looking over at the next city, just up the hill here, Ai. So they got the idea, well, this is a small city. Let's just send a, just a handful of guys over there, take care of that small thing. So they go, and the men of the city come out after them and kill about, I think it was like 35 or something like that, of the, of the Jews, and, they, and send them back in retreat. And Joshua's confounded. Lord, I thought you gave us this land. And God speaks to him. He says, well, it's because there was a sin that happened here. I told you not to do it, and you did it anyway. Joshua didn't do it himself, but we know that a man named Achan had done it. And we don't have time to read this tonight, but I would encourage you. Well, maybe I, maybe I should, actually. I will. <laughs> I'll read to you. Uh, Joshua chapter 7. Verses 10 through 26. Now, I, I bring this up because, again, we're in this place in, in Deuteronomy where he says, uh, only the witnesses, or the, if there's a witness of two or three people, only they are to put forth the stones into stone, right? To put to death. It says in Joshua 7, verse 10, it says, So the Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned. Again, this is after their defeat at Ai. And they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. I told them something very simple. And God says, I told you what to do, and this is what happened. For they have taken some of the accursed things and have, been st and have stolen and deceived, and they have put it also among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you any more unless you destroy the accursed from among you. Notice that. 
So get up, sanctify the people, and say, Sanctify yourselves for tomorrow. Because thus says the Lord God of Israel, There is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. Now, you know what? As we read this, don't get in your mind or heart that God is angry. You know, this is some tough stuff. This really is, okay? But we know that God is as much a God of grace then as he is now. He's no different. But he does take sin seriously, and he's trying to teach this people, as he's teaching us today, the significance of sin. And we need not take a light hand on it. We need not think of it, we shouldn't think of it, so flippantly like we do. So it seems severe, but you're going to see grace all throughout the Old Testament. We're just reading some really tough stuff now, but God is a God of grace. He always has been, he always will be. He said, there is an accursed thing in, in your midst. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought be, according to your tribes, and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes shall come according to the families, and the family which the Lord shall take shall come by households, and the households which the Lord takes shall come man by man. And then it shall be that he who is taken with the accursed thing shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. So Joshua rose up early in the morning. He brought all the tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. So they had some kind of uh, way to... Um, probably the Urim and the Thummim, these, these two rocks that maybe perhaps or they cast lots and, and God was in the midst of all that. He knew exactly what he was doing and he chose the very tribe. He chose the family of that tribe and he chose the very person of that tribe and God did that in front of them all. And that to me that was just a further understanding that God knows who it was. Nobody else knew, but God knew. And he, he, he zeroed it down. And Can you imagine the pulse of Achan it's probably quickening <laughs> when he finds out the, the tribe of Judah was taken. Now his pulse is getting a little bit heavier. Now the, his, his family is being taken. Okay, the tribe of you, you stand forward, and then this family stand forward, and, and then Achan. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. So Joshua, so it says, Then he brought the household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Now Joshua said to Achan, My son, I beg you, Give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered and, and, and answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I have done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. And there they are, hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers. Notice, these are the witnesses. He told them where it was. They went to it. Joshua sent messengers. They ran into the tent, and there it was, hidden in his tent with the silver under it. And they took from them from the midst of the tent and brought them to Joshua, to all the children of Israel, and laid them out before the Lord. And then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold. Notice, this is the heartbreaking part his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had. And they brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned, them, stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. I don't know about you. This is just a small grace, but, you know, even in this, you think about how merciful God is. 
I'm so glad that the Bible says that they stone them first. Because, <laughs> you know, you get hit in the head with a rock, and you're unconscious. And then they finish it. And then they burn you. You're not even aware of it. You're dead, right? I mean, can you imagine? I mean, to me, that's, um, I don't know, just in my estimation, that's a little more humane than being tossed into the fire alive. You know, God, even in his justice, he, 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 he loves, you know, he, he's, he's equitable. He's not a, a, a mean God in that regard. Then they raised over him a great heap of stones, still there to this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day. Pretty interesting. It's very difficult to read these kinds of things in the Bible. It's a good thing we're in 1 Peter on Sunday morning because it kind of uh, weighs out the balance a little bit of of the difficulty of some of this. But verse 8, back in Deuteronomy 17, he says, If a matter arises which is too hard for you to judge between the degrees of guilt for bloodshed, between one judgment or another, or between one punishment or another, matters of controversy within your gates, then you shall arise and go up to the place which the Lord your God chooses. And it shall come to the priest, and you shall come to the priest, the Levites, and to the judge there in those days, and inquire of them. And they shall pronounce upon you the sentence of judgment. And you shall do, verse 10, according to the sentence which they pronounce upon you in that place which the Lord chooses. And you shall be careful to do according to all that they order you. And I think this is interesting for me to notice that they were to go to the priests. They were to go to the the religious leaders. These men loved the Lord. Their, Their whole tribe had been set aside to do nothing but serve God, to erect the temple, to tear it down when they moved, to take care of the vessels, to be a part of the sacrifices, to do all these things. And God says, I want you to take the, they are going to, you know, after they get into the land, the real difficult stuff, they're going to they're gonna deal with those things. And you think about it, and what better people really to do that? The people of God. The people of God are the most gracious people because they know how much they've been forgiven. And certainly the tribe of Levi, known the favor of God, and to think about these men whom God had given great privilege, and they believed in God, they loved God, they served him night and day. And God says, I'm gonna, I, want the, I'm, I trust these guys, I trust their judgment because I'm in their heart. I'm, on, I'm upon them, and I trust them. Their judgment's going to stand. Notice he didn't go to any of the other nations around them and say, I want you to go grab the Moabites. Go get a couple of the, the leaders and the Moabites and have them come in and judge you. No, he says, go to the, go to the priests, the Levites. And you know, a, a person who knows God is more likely to tell the truth, and a person who knows God is more likely to stand up for the truth. And a person who knows the Lord is less likely to receive a bribe. Now, there are exceptions, but the person who really loves the Lord is one of the greatest assets to justice because they're gracious, they're compassionate, and there are times when the hammer has to fall. But who better than a child of God or a person who loves Christ to be? I mean, would the God that our, our, our Supreme Court justices were all born-again Christians? Can you imagine that? This country would be so much different. It would be. There'd be things that wouldn't be allowed to happen in this country. 
Verse 11, according to the sentence of the law in which they instruct you, according to the judgment which they tell you, you shall do. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left from the sentence which they pronounce upon you. Now the man who acts presumptuously and will not heed the priest who stands to minister there before the Lord your God or the judge, that man shall die. So you shall put away the evil from Israel. Again, so shall you put away evil. That's God's whole heart is to get evil away from you. I don't know about you, but do you, would you like evil to be away from you? I mean, do you really enjoy evil? Does any of us really enjoy evil? I don't enjoy evil. There's something really wonderful to have the Spirit of God indwelt in my, inside of me like He is you, if you're a child of God, to have Him inside of you and to give you the witness of the Spirit of God and to give you a, a, the desire, the hunger for righteousness. And most people can't stand somebody. They think you're goody-two-shoes or something like that. You know, holier than thou. You can call me whatever you want. I don't care. I know him. <laughs> and and he's, done a, he's doing a work in my heart as he is yours. And you know what? I sleep at night really well unless I eat something really heavy before bed. I sleep pretty well because I have peace with God. I have peace. I have the peace of God because I have peace with God. And the peace is the Prince of Peace, Christ. I have him in my life. He's in my heart. He's in my life. So I have a peace. He said in verse 13, And all the people shall hear and notice, they shall fear. They shall reverence. They'll be in awe. That's really the idea is reverence and awe. I mean, most people, when they approach the President of the United States, whoever he is, doesn't matter, any President of the United States, Somebody approaches them, they're quite a bit nervous, right? That's a reverence. They revere the office. Regardless of the person, they, they revere the office. By just this man mentioning your name in the press, you'll be a millionaire overnight. If you're a product seller, do you know that? You sell a book, you got a book, and he mentions your name on Twitter. The ne- very next day, you've sold hundreds of thousands of copies of your book. <laughs> that's just the way it works but think about God who created all things and to stand before him can you imagine the fear and I don't mean a fear like I mean there is a dread don't get me wrong and we see it in the Bible of men and you know just when, they, when they're in the presence of God and he visits them they fall on their face like they're dead they just fall flat on their face they're in dread because they have this sinful flesh And there they are in front of a holy God. They recognize it. It's almost like an involuntary reaction. It's like you can't even help it. I mean, if God was to manifest himself in this room, every one of us would fall off of our chair and grovel on the ground out of fear and wonderful awe. In a wonderful awe. In a wonderful way. There's something that only God can do that can inflict upon a soul that just the, the guilt and also the, the great holiness. I mean, we're talking perfection. To be in the presence of, of a being who has never and can never sin, who is perfect in everything. He knows all things. He can't learn anything. He's beauty beyond description. And for him to stand before you, oh my goodness. You fall flat on your face and you're just like weeping. Lord, get away from me. I can't stand it. <laughs> it's too intense. And then to have him put his hand on your shoulder and say, Rise. I love you. I died for you. 
Doesn't that just melt your heart? Doesn't that just drive you insane with love? Insane love. Your mind is just blown. That's what we have to look forward to. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Deuteronomy. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location and service times, and much more. You can even download the radio and sanctuary messages in MP3 format free of charge from the resources link. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play or Apple Podcast. We are so glad that you could join us today, and if there is any way that we could bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.